Here's a quiz question for you. What would the Australian Ministry of Defense have to do with heat treating in Southern California? Well, on today's edition of Heat Treat Radio, we're going to take a trip down under, both to Australia and Southern California, to find out. I'm your host, Doug Glenn, publisher of Heat Treat Today and the talking head here on Heat Treat Radio. Stay tuned to find out the answer. Heat Treat Radio gets around. With the few podcasts we've done in the past, which, by the way, number is seven, and you can find them by Googling Heat Treat Radio, in those first seven podcasts, we've been to Greece. My full name is Anastasios Gavras. To Germany. I'm Thomas Wingens. And we've even talked with Seamus Hudson, who got his name from Ireland. Today, however, we're headed down under to Australia. My name is Karen Stanton, and I am the Director of Strategy and Corporate at HTA. HTA, as in Heat Treat Australia. HTA is the largest contract heat treater in Australia. Here's a little more about Miss Stanton. Uh, HTA are a thermal processing heat treat company uh, who started its, uh, its business in Brisbane in Australia, and we're uh, slowly expanding our footprint. Um, my role there is um, director, um, I do strategy, business development, um, all the fun stuff. So why is this Australian heat treater of any interest to our audience, to manufacturers in the aerospace, automotive, medical, and energy sectors with in-house heat treat departments? The answer, HTA recently opened up its first non-Australian heat treat shop in Southern California. To be precise, They've landed in Santa Fe Springs. Uh, so we're in Santa Fe Springs um, on Freeman Avenue. Um, it, great, great area. Uh, all of our customers are in a similar space within sort of five, ten miles. Um, um, most of the aerospace steel companies are within the same sort of sector as well. Um, yeah, it's a really good industrial uh, industry sort of based um, and, you know, our suppliers are also just down the street. You know, we can get calibrations done. We can get our thermocouples, um, which, again, is absolutely spectacular because imagine when you're in Australia and your closest supplier of thermocouples is in Los Angeles. HTA landed in Santa Fe Springs roughly one year ago and is looking to grow. Just exactly what motivated them to move here and what their plans are for growth involves a little explaining. HTA's Coming to America story really started several years ago and is a result of two primary forces, Australia's flagging industrial economy and the newly formed Australian Government Centre for Defence Industry Capabilities Board. We'll talk about both of those drivers shortly, but first, I thought you might like to know a little more about Karen Stanton. I was born into heat trade. Um, it, uh, it started as a family business, my father, uh, and my brother and I um, got some money together and bought him out, shoot, about 20 years ago now. Um, that's when we had one site in Brisbane, and since then we've, um, we've done some expansions and some changes. Um, I'm a huge fan of uh, continual learning, so I've spent a lot of my years studying. I have four degrees. I just finished my doctorate um, in business strategy. Um, yeah, I, I love studying. It's great to, to keep the mind going. And as soon as you learn something new, you get to bring it back to your business and create some new opportunities. 
my first degree was in accounting, so a Bachelor of Business major in accounting. Uh, my second degree was an MBA, and then I did a Master of Technology, um, and now I've just finished a Doctor of Business. And I have a few board roles that give me some diversity and some outside interests. Um, I'm lucky enough to sit on the Australian Federal Government Defence Industry Board, um, which is quite spectacular. And I'm also on the Queensland, the state of Queensland in Australia, on their Manufacturing Advanced Manufacturing Board. So it gives me some outside interest and also lets me explore the world and bring some good ideas back to the business as well. As you can see, Miss Stanton stays quite busy. Not so with the Australian economy, especially in the heat root world. It just wasn't measuring up to HTA standards. Here's Karen discussing both drivers that pushed HTA to look at expanding into North America. As mentioned previously, the slowing Australian economy and the growing Australian defense market. So the heat treat industry in Australia, um, it's, a, it's a very mature market and it's in, it's in decline. Um, there's been a lot of rationalization over the last sort of five to ten years, a lot of consolidations of businesses that didn't have enough um, market or critical mass to continue on their own. Um, quite a few businesses have closed. I think we've gone from somewhere around 25 or 30 shops, which wasn't a great deal to start with, and I think we're down to around 10 or 12 now. Um, and we have three of those shops. So you can see that the market kind of ran out for us. We were looking around thinking, well, there's no more opportunities in Australia that are worthwhile with that kind of investment that you need to set up a heat treat plant. Um, and then at the same time, we'd started moving into the defence aerospace sector. Um, Australia is lucky enough to have a percentage of the build for the F-35 program. Uh, so there's a lot of drive down from the Australian government in terms of um, small to medium enterprises getting involved in defence, getting involved in aerospace and to improve our capabilities. Um, so that was sort of all starting to happen at the same time. And, and now in the last five years, the Australian government has moved very heavily to focus on sovereign capability. They want companies like ours, like HTA and uh, the precision machine companies and everyone in those types of supply chains that produce the parts for aero defence applications to improve their capabilities so we can have a sovereign capability in our nation. Um, so the powers that be in our country want us to be able to start to finish, make and sustain everything that we do in our defence regime. So, so they're very focused on helping SMEs, small to medium businesses, establish themselves, develop their capabilities, make sure that we're ready to supply to them. But part of that is that we had to spend a lot of money on investment. Um, we've done a huge investment in Brisbane over the last two years, um, about five or six million dollars we've put into that site in terms of infrastructure, equipment, people. Um, and that is to sustain the increases that we're, we're come, that are coming through for the F-35 market and for other platforms. Um, we've got a lot of marine platforms and land platforms coming through for defense as well. Um, the problem is that they aren't ready yet. Um, we have to develop the capabilities so we can do all those FAIs, first articles, because they take years, but the work's not going to come and flow through for probably another two or three years yet. Um, all of these things in the defence market take a long time. When you get your capabilities, that's when they start paying attention, and then maybe three or four years later, you may have qualified some parts and start to get some contracts. 
So we had that space in the middle there that we knew that we were going to need to expand our footprint in order to get the sales targets and be able to sustain the growth in the Australian business while we're waiting for those ramp-ups in all the programs. Um, so, so our thinking was, well, where else do we go? Where do we know that we um, will fit in? So we picked, obviously, a place and a location that was in similar culture to ours. Um, one flight, even though it's 14 hours and painful, it's still only one. Um, yeah, and and we just thought that that is the place because if you can do well in an Australian market with, um, you know, a limited market, limited um, critical mass, if you can do well in that market and you can still be gaining market share in a declining market, how can you do in a market that's in expansion and needs the types of services that we've got? Um, so that was the concept. And so our first stop was LA. We already have customers here in LA that we do aerospace defense work for. Um, we have customers in Florida and San Diego. So it seemed like a, a normal sort of rational progression for us. HTA, as Karen stated, has three sites across Australia and no other international sites except for the new one in the Los Angeles area. I asked Karen about HTA's expansion into North America. The expansion across Australia was was easy for us, obviously. It's our own country. It's close to home. All of the sites are within sort of two or three hours flight, um, and we know the market. Uh, the establishment of the LA site was a little bit out of the scope, but um, you know we're a reasonably agile company, and we we think we're reasonably good at um, translating what we know into a new model. So once we established Sydney and that was going well, you know then we established Melbourne and that was going well. So the key for us is that we get all of our sites running. We want them to run smoothly and be profitable, and then we're ready for the next one. Um, so LA we started a, almost a year ago now. Given that it was from scratch, it's a reasonably long setup. Um, and our business, we don't we don't get outside investment. Um, we don't have private equity. We grow um, organically through cash flow, through financing, um, through profits. So, so it's a tempered approach, um, and it's a strategic approach, but it's one that we're all you know happy with that we can bed down a facility before we um, move on to the next opportunity. In 2016, Heat Treat Australia started essentially at zero in Southern California. Being motivated to move there because of a shrinking heat treat market in Australia and the need to finance continued defense capabilities for the Australian defense sector. Since investment money wasn't coming from expanding profits in Australia, HTA decided to venture out and place a heat treat operation in an economy that was expanding and could provide the profits necessary to facilitate further expansion. Thus, HTA landed in Santa Fe Springs. So, Karen, you've been in Santa Fe Springs for over a year now. Are you happy with the progress to date? Well, we're only a year down the track, so it's still early days. Um, we uh, have some equipment on site. Um, Traditionally, our approach to equipment and um, the way we look at setting up our sites is high technology, 
Um, we preferably go for brand new equipment. We go for low economic foot, uh, low environmental footprint, um, so a real green aspect to it so that we're looking after the environment. Um, those types of things are ridiculously important to us as a business because we understand that that's what the future is going to look like. So regardless of whether we want to accept it, the heat trigger of old is not going to be of the new space um, in terms of the requirements that we have. I mean, in Brisbane, we have huge drive-downs on being environmentally friendly, um, reducing waste, um, all of those sorts of things. So our footprint and wherever we go, we'll need to have that um, understanding. So the equipment that we purchased, we actually choose um, primarily a um, European supplier. Um, fantastic equipment. It takes a really long time. So we ordered that equipment about two years ago for the LA site. And we have now on site um, a vacuum brazing furnace, a couple of um, age hardening temper furnaces. Um, obviously, we have some smaller testing, uh, tempering type equipment, um, those sorts of things. So it's a relatively small footprint now. Um, but the purpose of this trip for me now to LA is to actually start to look um, and talk to the customers about what they want next. So um, before you caught me today, I was out seeing customers and, and that's where I'll be tomorrow because it's important to understand what they want before we make those um, investment decisions and get it wrong potentially. Being only a year into it, you have a fairly limited but growing process offering. We do age hardening. That's what we're good at. Um, and that's the equipment that we've gone with for our first two pieces of equipment. Um, we have one installed. The second one's actually getting installed today, tomorrow. Um, so we'll increase our capacity again. Uh, the other piece of equipment we have um, on site now, which will be commissioned shortly, is a vacuum brazing furnace. So we'll, um, the provision of um, aluminum vacuum brazing will be the next process that we um, that we establish. Um, so at this point, that's all. Um, we're probably actually going to expand the age hardening space because there's there's a greater need for that that we can see than any other process, and that's one that um, can easily be added to our current capacity um, without changing our footprint a great deal. We have lab capabilities. Um, we don't actually have um, metallurgists on staff. All of our um, metallurgy is done from Australia. Um, as we grow and, and the requirement comes in, um, we'll increase, you know, the size of the site. That was um, actually one of the ads I was drafting today was I think that soon we're going to need um, some project managers, especially when we move into vacuum braze because in Australia we do vacuum braze from from design, um, raw material purchase to delivery um, and we want to um, replicate that in the US. So we're going to be looking for project managers. We're going to be looking for some precision machine companies to work with. Um, we already have many of the primes asking us when we'll be ready with the capability. Um, obviously, it's in short supply in this country, so there's, um, there's some interest already. I asked Karen to expand a bit on HTA's capabilities with vacuum aluminum braze. So we've developed in-house uh, the aluminum vacuum brazing process. So we started that shoot about 10 or 12 years ago in-house in our Brisbane site. Um, after a lot of years of R&D, we, we're now at the point that we've completely commercialised that process. So we can do the design all the way through um, to the delivery of components. We currently have 
um, four components on the F35 that are in production um, that we've worked the vacuum brazing on. Uh, we also do Formula One cars, vacuum brazing, the cooling chassis for those. Um, and we do a lot of work now in green energy space, which was completely an unknown market to us a couple of years ago. Um, but the opportunities there for vacuum brazing are considerable as well. Um, so that process, um, whilst we started it for defence, is starting to take off um, quite considerably around the world. And probably the reason why we wanted to establish it here in LA, because a lot of our US the US primes um, can't send that type of work out of country. It's uh, in-country eyes only. Um, and we came across that issue quite a few times. And one of the reasons um, that supported our setup of our LA site was the fact that we could establish a vacuum brazing facility there to service those um, US eyes only accounts um, that they couldn't send out of country. Um, that, that essentially is a big issue for Australian companies because there's a lot of the US defence market that we can't see, we can't bid on, we can't, you know, do RFQs for um, because they just don't give us the opportunity. Now that you've been here a year and have had a chance to soak in a bit of the American industrial culture, have you found any significant differences between the American market and the Australian market? Yeah, um, essentially the Australian market is a smaller replica of the U.S. market. Um, uh, I would say overall not as advanced. I mean, our business HGA, you know, we we look for the latest technology, latest equipment, etc. But as a rule, um, it's a generally old market and we don't necessarily look for um, the latest technologies or new processes. Um, and, it, yeah, as I said, it's rationalising and it's rationalising for a reason because no one's extending their markets or changing their footprint. Um, we're lucky that we're the only um, aerospace defence NADCAP heat trigger in the country. And at this point, for anyone to catch up, I mean, you, you know how long it takes to to develop your quality um, from, and a lot of them don't even do ISO, let alone AS, NADCAP. Um, yeah, so so you know what, it's it's a reasonably traditional market. The focus is still a little bit automotive, um, still a fair bit of mining goes on, um, agriculture, um, a lot of work there because of the equipment requirements. Um, and then, you know, lots of little stuff, general tooling, general engineering, um, but there's no there's no big work. Even being in um, LA for only a year and, and processing really only for like three or four months now, um, the quantities of work that are in the US um, and in the market that we've just started in uh, far outweigh the quantities that you would ever see in Australia. So I um, mean, you know, in this site we could get a twenty thousand pound delivery, and that, that's normal. In Australia, if that turned up on the doorstep, we'd probably shut the place down and go out for a party. That sounds like a good plan. Any other differences between Australia and the U.S.? Yeah, uh, we did. We realised, um, and we realised very quickly, that um, honesty and transparency in customer relationships were more important than anything. Um, that making customers aware of exactly what you're capable of and not capable of is more important than just saying yes. Um, I, I think we've found a really, um, really good customer base because um, our nature, I mean, as, as country people, Australians, 
Um, we're open, we're honest. We're not really sure how to how to be dishonest to be truthful. Um, that's yeah, that's our nature. We're friendly, we're open, we're honest, and if someone asks us a question, we'll tell the truth. Um, you know, and so I think that they love that frankness. They love the fact that we're like, okay, so we can't process all of that twenty thousand pounds in the next five days, but um, we guarantee we'll have it done for you in fifteen. And they're like, well, I wanted it in five, but thank you. Um, I appreciate that. So, so coming into the market, even the you know, as we as we deal with new customers, they're they're very happy with the level of customer service. Um, the ability of transparency they get um, from us and from our team. Yes, it's amazing what happens when you have the backbone to do the right thing. <laughs> yeah, well, you, you know what? It's it's a it's a really tough market because there's not enough suppliers, obviously, in the market, and that's why we've been able to enter it um, and you know gain some momentum. And all the current suppliers, you know, are really under the pump to get work out in a timely fashion. Um, and it, and it doesn't look like the footprint's expanding a lot for the current suppliers. So they just sort of, and, and I guess you're so privileged that you've had so much work for such a long time. You don't have to wonder if more's coming in the next day. Um, you know, in Australia, you fight for that extra kilo or for that extra dollar. And, you know, you, you, you may have to go out of your way for customer service. You may have to, you know, work a little bit harder to get the job. Um, and that's the approach that we've taken into the U.S. market, and it's been appreciated. As a new international company trying to break into the American market, what do you think it is about HTA that will make you successful in this market? So uh, the keys to our business are integrity, knowledge, and experience. They're the three things that we live by. Um, integrity in terms of our approach to customers, um, the honesty, the transparency, uh, the knowledge is incredible. Um, everyone that comes to our business essentially stays. Um, we got about 60 staff across our group, and the average time that anyone's been in our business is 15 plus years. So we have a lot of internal knowledge and skill, um, and that experience base is is important. So if we're hiring people for those key positions, we want those people to have the experience and the wealth of knowledge that they need to be able to deliver their job. Um, so, so there are keys, integrity, knowledge, and skill. Um, the other thing we're very good at is customer service. We even have an IP process um, that we've developed. It's a um, customer service tool called HeatTrack, which we developed in-house and we use across all our sites. And it gives customers the ability to do absolutely everything they want to interface with our business, everything from organize a job to be picked up to getting their own invoices, finding their own certs, um, looking up past quotes, past jobs, um, absolutely everything to integrate with the business. Um, and the goal originally was so that people had stopped calling us, but um, after a while we got upset that no one was calling us. So we actually developed it with the thought that we were going to sell it as commercial software and we realized how good it was and it actually is um, a competitive advantage for us. It's like a unique positioning tool. So um, we quickly decided that we should keep it to ourselves. So you've expanded into North America after having three plants in Australia. You mentioned earlier that the strategy is to set up a shop, make sure it's profitable, and then move on to the next. Any plans for growth into areas outside the LA area, or will you maintain the same rationale and growth pattern? 
Yeah, I think that's that's the rationale. We, you know, we've been approached by a lot of other markets, um, and again, um, the Australian government is really good at growing exports. So we have exposure, especially to um, like the um, markets like Dubai and UAE markets, um, and and there's some huge opportunities there. Um, but that comes with if you know if we thought Los Angeles was hard, then that is going to be infinitely harder. And you wouldn't want to approach markets like that and unless you were very sure of what you were doing, had a considerable um, you know, working capital fund um, and a lot of prior knowledge about the market and that doesn't come easily. So, yeah, we're going to establish our footprint in the US for a little bit longer. I mean, you know, we have giant plans of global domination, so, <laughs> so we never say no. Well, at least you're letting everyone know right up front. Oh, look, if anyone asks me, what are you going to do? It's global domination. It might not happen tomorrow, but it could be next week or next month. As we're wrapping up this interview, I wanted to ask uh, two, two other questions. The first one was about the involvement of the Australian government and how instrumental they've been developing programs that are helpful. Okay, um, so I'm privileged enough to be part of the um, Australian Government Centre for Defence Industry Capability Board, which is a new board that the, the country set up a, about a year ago um, in order to um, assist small business, medium businesses to get into the defence aerospace sector. Um, so it's specifically a body that actually works to establish the capabilities of Australian companies and to assist them to develop their capabilities in order to meet um, things like the sovereign capabilities that Australia needs. Um, we have a concept in the country that is all about um, small to medium businesses or industry being a fundamental input to capability um, and that is probably one of our guiding principles is that industry within Australia, the businesses, the small businesses, the medium business are the ones that are more fundamental to the input of Australian defence capability than the primes, than the OEMs, etc. Um, so they have a real focus on small to medium businesses um, and, and really they have so many opportunities for Australian companies. We, we have grants. Um, programs to help us develop capabilities, to help us buy equipment, um, even grant programs to help uh, Australian businesses export their products and services overseas so that we can get those critical masses, which means we'll still maintain our Australian entities as well. Final question, and this one may involve you having to use some of those creative juices. What will heat treating look like 10 years from now? Heat treating will um, increase and advance quite rapidly in technology. Um, we'll move absolutely away from all of those low-tech processes. Um, everything will be completely electronic, PLC controlled. There'll be not one manual chart recorder um, in, you know, they'll be in the museums. Um, it'll be the clean green technology like the vacuum equipment um, with zero pollution um, that is, you know, very environmentally friendly and it'll be focused on high-level output um, for minimum consumption. Um, obviously, we've got energy drive-downs, we've got environmental drive-downs, um, we've got, you know, sort of safety drive-downs, cybersecurity drive-downs. All of those things are going to mean that we have to change the way we do things. Um, and honestly, at HGA, we've taken that leap. We're not 
um, implementing any of those older processes. Um, we're phasing out anything that's environmentally unfriendly. We're looking for the um, most efficient equipment and the highest technology available. And we haven't had a chart recorder for, shoot, at least 15 years, uh, a manual one. So everything is done electronically. Um, everyone has apps on their phone to control the furnaces in our plant. How about AI, artificial intelligence? Um, you know what? It's going to be it's going to be scary how much it's going to be in the heat treat market. We're going to have shops where we don't need people anymore. The the pipes are going to roll in the front door. They're going to have visual inspection, you know, via technology. They're going to go along a production line into a piece of equipment and come out the other end all done with paperwork attached, and there wasn't a person in sight. That could be twenty years, but. You know what? It's it's. An, I don't think it's that far off. Some of the technology that's coming out, you know, the automation that we're doing, you know, even without some of our testing equipment, to do multiple components, hands-off production assembly type stuff. I mean, it's it's quite spectacular. And if it, if we keep advancing at the rate we are, then we will get to that point. Now you know how it is that the Australian Ministry of Defence has something to do with heat treating in Southern California. And you manufacturers in the Southwest now have a new resource for sending out overflow work. Although competition in the Southern California contract heat treat market is stiff, HTA appears to be there to stay. If you'd like to get in touch with Miss Stanton, feel free to email me at doug at heattreattoday.com and I'll be sure to pass your message along. If you'd like more Heat Treat Radio, like perhaps our interview with former Body Coat CEO John Hubbard about his re-entry into the Heat Treat market, or perhaps our interview with Heat Treat Industry Consultant Thomas Wingens about Heat Treat Industry Megatrends, or maybe you'd like to listen to interviews with some of the brightest, youngest minds in Heat Treat in our Metallurgical Poster Children series. You can do so by visiting our website at www.heattreattoday.com and clicking on Heat Treat Radio. Or simply by Googling Heat Treat Radio. We're the first four or five results you'll see. Visit the Heat Treat Today website frequently. We post one Heat Treat news or technology item nearly every weekday. Our content is targeted at manufacturers with in-house heat treat departments, especially in the aerospace, automotive, medical, and energy sectors. Visit us at www.heattreattoday.com. And finally, if you have a specific topic you'd like to see covered on Heat Treat Radio, please contact me directly. My email is doug at heattreattoday.com. Heat Treat Radio podcasts are the sole property of Heat Treat today and cannot be reproduced without permission and appropriate attribution. All of the music you've heard on today's podcast and the producing and mixing of this and all previous episodes of Heat Treat Radio have been done by Jonathan Lloyd Condon of Butler, Pennsylvania, who, by the way, just recently released a new digital music CD called Jonathan Lloyd. Sanctum. Congratulations, Jonathan. Email me if you'd like to get a copy. My name is Doug Glenn. Thanks for joining us.